Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Paddock Chat, a West Midlands Group original podcast created to keep local growers in the loop without having to leave the paddock. I'm your host, Kira Holly, and I am the West Midlands Group's Communications Officer. I caught up with Brad Ryan, who farms with his family in Dandarigan. They run a mixed enterprise with a focus on wear and seed potatoes. Wear potatoes is a term mostly used within the potato industry, which refers to any potatoes destined for human consumption still in potato form, as opposed to seed potatoes or potatoes destined for commercial processing. Brad unpacked their operation, giving us an insight into what their growing season looks like, how they tackle constraints such as damaging winds, and the innovations they've implemented on farm to improve power and water usage. The information provided in this podcast is general in nature and may not be wholly appropriate for your purposes or situation. We recommend that you seek appropriate professional advice before implementing actions based on information provided in this podcast. This conversation was recorded in late April of 2021. Hi, Brad, and welcome to Paddock Chat. Thanks for joining us today to share a little bit about the Ryan's potato operation here in Dandarigan. No worries. Good to be on it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role here? So we're a mixed farming operation, mainly around irrigation and potatoes, but we also have some um, sheep, a little bit of cropping, and some pomegranates as well. How many hectares are you cropping to spuds each year? Uh, it does change a little bit, but um, at the moment we're doing about 60 hectares. What varieties do you grow? So, yeah, again, it's changing every every year and it sort of depends on what the market's asking us to grow. But at the moment, the main ones are the whites, reds and the blues, which would be Nardine, Rodeo and Royal Blue. And we're doing a little bit of seed for some interstate growers. So there's some other varieties out there as well. So those ones you are growing specifically because that's what the market demands. Are there any other reasons why you grow those ones? For the wear market, you've got to have certain varieties that suit the, the business buying off you. But we get told what varieties to grow for seed to bulk up for the next farmer to grow as seed. So you kind of got to do what they want as well. And is there no, you don't grow varieties that are fit the soil types and the climates here or are they just, you know, pretty straightforward across the board? A little bit. There's, um, it's an ongoing sort of practice. We're trying to learn what varieties suit different times of the year because we start planting in February, which is always warm. So you want a potato that can get up out of the ground quick and their seed, the seed piece needs to be kind of strong so it can hold up against the heat if there's any uh, heat waves coming through. But then you don't want too big of a bush because going into the humid sort of time around now, um, they can fall over and start getting bacterial diseases. So, yeah, it does change a little bit. Going back to when you mentioned the irrigation, what does your irrigation system look like? So we've got five... 18 hectare centre pivots and they're all towable so we try to rotate as much as we can. We've got sites all around the farm after usually one or two years we'll move those to a site where it goes back and forth. Like anything you've just got to give the soil a rest you can't just keep growing the same thing over and over on the soil. Again we're kind of learning as we go what to do as a cover crop or a replacement crop in between years but We're finding a few new things that are 
matching our program pretty well. In June and July, uh, after our first harvest, we'll put some rye corn, which goes really well, grows really fast, and can hold the ground together over the over the summer. Um, it's also some pretty good, some okay sheep feed as well, and then sorghum over the summer. So you're located in a high rainfall zone, but the seasons are getting pretty variable these days. How do you navigate variable amounts of rainfall? Well, we can't rely at all on the rainfall. Everything we do is irrigated. So uh, in the winter, it definitely makes things a lot easier uh, with the regular rain expected. But uh, the February planting is pretty much solely relied on um, the irrigation. So we've got a little bit of spring water that comes through the farm and then we've also got some bores, so that helps out as well. So you grow through winter, pretty much? Uh, the February planting, majority of the growth is done before winter, uh, but then we plant through the winter and a little bit on the outside of the winter going into November as well. Harvest in July, October, September and November. So it sounds like the growing season for spuds is a bit different to broadacre. Can you... Can you talk us through in a bit more detail about what your year looks like in terms of timing? So usually we finish up for the year in sort of first week of December uh, and that gives us a bit of time to just do a bit of um, maintenance on the gear and then come January we're back into um, groundwork. So we'll go through and deep rip, rotary hoe um, and then um, get the ground ready for planting in February and then away we go again. Do you plant it all at once or is it staggered? So it's staggered depends on um, it depends on the client and when they need potatoes. So if they say they want a hundred ton a week through July, we'll plant a whole half pivot or nine hectares in in February. Try to do it sort of per nine hectares at a time. In terms of yield, how many tons of spuds do you expect? to get back per acre planted? We work on hectares and um, for every 40 or 50 tonne of seed, we'll try to get around about 400 tonne of potatoes, which is about nine hectares. Wow, that's quite a lot. And so during the growing season, what does your spraying and fert program look like? So once the crops up and at we'll tend to go through and spray at least every sort of seven to 10 days depending on the stage of life of the crop. In terms of fertiliser, we'll be doing it every week as well, right through to pretty much they get sprayed off. And so when do you start harvest? And is it the same kind of, you know, go through the day and into the night like broadacre or does it look different? Generally, no. It's only a couple of hours every morning and we can get the crop out for the day, but there's always something going wrong. There's a lot of moving parts on a harvester, so it does vary, but we try to get it done before sort of 9.30 every morning so the spuds are fresh and down to Perth before lunchtime. Wow. And so how many people are helping with that process? So normally we'll have two, two graders on the back of the harvester, and then I'll drive the harvester and then there'll be a couple of boys um, on the chaser bins. So it sort of depends how far we are away from the shed. We'll either have two tractors going back and forth or we even get sometimes a third one in, depends on what the situation is. So we rely fairly heavily on backpackers to come and give us a hand through harvest. So when you say um, a couple of graders, they're on the back of the harvester. What are they doing in there? So there's a sorting table just before it goes into the, the bins on the chaser. Typically, they're just taking away wood 
rocks, um, those, the tops of the leftover of the spud top, and then uh, just cuts and defects and stuff like that. Very different to what people normally associate with harvest looking like. Let's just go back to your soils. You did mention that you deep rip. Is that to tackle the non-wetting soils of the region or is there other benefits for deep ripping your pivot sites? For us to roach your hoe at the depth we do, we, we roach your hoe quite deep. To Sorry, is rotary hoeing the same as deep ripping? No, it's kind of like spading. So it's okay. it's about a three meter long spader, but you're going sort of three k's an hour, and it's pretty much just mixing the ground up. And so what's the depth? About five hundred or half a meter. Right. To do that properly, you've got to deep rip first, which is the main reason. But yeah, the, the all the groundwork's all dependent on how. Well, you do that to get your rotary hoeing as good as you can. Why do you guys do that in the first place? What Ro- benefit does it have? Rotary hoeing? Yeah. Well, it just loosens up the ground and allows spud to send its roots in early. And the, the lighter the ground is for the spud to grow, the, the less defects is going to be around the potato. Right. So it's not so much for soil moisture or is that just an added benefit? It's just, yeah, it's an added benefit. I just want to go back. So you've been talking about how it's a learning process. Your potato farming originally started down in Pemberton, didn't it? Yeah. How long have you guys been farming in Dendarrigan? Dad bought the farm about, I think, 12 or 13 years ago. And the the main reason for that was because there was just a shortage of spuds in the winter period. The, the Pemberton region is typically growing sort of from December through till now. So he, um, obviously the foxes were already up here at the time growing spuds. And then, um, yeah, we, we got the farm to keep the program running for the winter months. Now it's pretty much our main part of our program. So as you just mentioned, you're one of only two potato farms in Dandarigan. What's a common misconception that people have about spud farming? I'm not sure really. I kind of get the feeling that people think it's the, the program's somewhat similar to put it in the ground and let it grow. There's a lot more ins and outs with it. Right down to the seed piece that you're putting in the ground, if you try to break dormancy or get it to shoot too quickly, then you're going to only have a couple spuds come out of that plant. If you leave it too long and it's really shot and you put it in the ground, then you're going to have 20 or 30 spuds trying to grow and you've got to get that right for starters. And then there's the generations for the seed piece and then obviously you fertilizer and spraying program is fairly intensive so it is a pretty big job and the the wind up here is a big enemy so if you get some big storms you can do some damage pretty quickly so what constraints are you guys currently dealing with you mentioned the wind how do you overcome these issues or have you found a way no not really we're planting some sorghum on the edges of the pivot to try to avoid sand blasting like a wind barrier around the edge like the ring of the the pivot site we try to plant a bit of sorghum there which has helped but it's also hard to keep it alive when you're spraying grasses out in the spud crop so as soon as it touches the sorghum it kills it so it's a bit difficult in that regard but that's probably the only thing the other thing is just to try to keep everything around the pivot as i suppose as much stubble around the pivot as you can over the summer so if there is some windstorm the stubble can keep the sand sand down a bit. What about weeds? You're growing through, you know, the the part of the year where you're getting the most rain and you're fertilising and everything. Do you have much trouble with a weed load? Yeah, radish is a big issue because there's nothing you can really attack it with that's not going to hurt the potatoes. So 
I think the biggest importance is the rotation of that pivot site and probably if we can rotate with the wheat crop and a lupin crop, at least we can tackle those weeds among those rotations. How does running sheep fit in with the operation? Sometimes not too easy. Depends on how good that fence line is. The sheep are good. We're still sort of working out the best fit for those. But, yeah, the sheep are just mainly there to tidy up the farm around the irrigated spots and where we put a little bit of crop in. But we're still kind of working out the best fit for them. We've been experimenting and and feeding them up over the summer with some sorghum, which is obviously the cover crop of the potatoes. So that's worked out pretty good. It gives us plenty of feed to run some lambs over the summer without having to spend too much money keeping them growing so that's potentially something in terms of how they work with the potatoes when you are putting them on a site that was potatoes are you seeing any benefits like in terms of weed control for future pivot sites or the fertilizer that they you know are naturally producing definitely noticing more fertilizer where the sorghum has been because of the fact that they're just so focused on eating around the center well, the centre pivot site, so, and the the way that sorghum grows over summer, like, we can get four or five grazers before we need to start working that ground up, and by then they've been on there for ages, so that's definitely been noticed. But we haven't seen any changes or anything yet because it's all pretty early days for us, but it's, yeah, you can definitely see that there's a lot of, um, a lot of shit on the ground. <laughs> Um, does sorghum produce nitrogen or no? No. Okay. It takes a lot of nitrogen away. All right. Okay. And so when you say you get multiple grazers out of it through the summer, are you irrigating that sorghum? Not really. We've got a little solar farm down on our bore now, which is um, which is sort of giving us a reason to use a bit more water over the summer. And that kind of fits in to irrigate the sorghum a bit more just to, just to keep everything operating. So... That's been really good. Again, it hasn't cost, it's not costing us much to irrigate the sorghum at the moment. So we can do that, which is benefiting the sheep. So they're always happy when they get to go into a green paddock in the middle of January. Can you talk a little bit about the solar farm? Like what kind of size is it? What made you install that in the first place? It's about 170 kilowatt solar farm, but that's kind of just the number they give you, but it's operating a 60 kilowatt system so basically there's a pump down in the ground and then there's another one at the surface which pushes up to a, a big pond on the top of the hill and the main reason we did that was just because it wasn't reliable enough to be pumping directly out of the bore into the pivot you need a bit of a, a buffer in case anything was to go wrong and it also allows you to to make sure your pressure's right and you can water more than one pivot at a time so that's the main reason and obviously diesel is a big a big cost and a factor in going forward, I think we need to start to eliminate it as much as we can. Cool. And not to mention it's a bit more environmentally friendly. It is, yeah. How exciting. So is the solar farm powering a pivot? It's designed just to specifically drive the bore and that's it. Right. So there is power there that we could potentially use, but it's just another another thing that could possibly happen down down the track but yeah for now it's it's doing a good job just feeding the water up to the dam during the day and then we pump out of the dam at night so so you think there is opportunity to work Uh, with solar on your pivots or i think once batteries become 
more cost effective than it's definitely an option but at the moment it just wouldn't work because obviously the only time it's effective is when it's directly coming off the sun as soon as you use a battery it just starts to cost too much right is there any other parts of the operation that you've experimented with using solar power yeah so we've got our shed which has got our washing facility and cool room there as well as our accommodation for backpackers and then my old man's got a house as well that is all connected to the shed which has got an off-grid solar system that's designed to pretty much give the generator a rest during the day the generator still runs at night time but it powers all that which is really really good you mentioned watering at night why do you guys water at night for the most part we water during the night reason being is just to make the water used more efficient it allows it to get down and um you know be useful during the day in the summer but on the back end of the spud's life um, when they start to use less water we actually end up watering more so during the day because of humidity and the humidity creates bacteria in the base of the stem of the potato you've mentioned bacterial issues a couple of times what effect does this have on the potato i think it's similar to canola and the sclerotinia but we have a similar issue called aerial stem rot which like i said the humidity down under the canopy of the crop if the potatoes start to lay down it's an entry point for the the rotting and then as they start crossing over each other before you know it the whole paddock's just covered with rotting to slow that down we'll use copper and we'll put that outside every week and so the rotting does that impact overall production yeah it does if you don't get on top of it it can be pretty damaging we think we found a way to control it it doesn't stop it but it slows it down right it dries it out yeah the only other thing we haven't touched on is um the pests that you guys are dealing with what what are you tackling there So the biggest one would be budworm. They just really love to eat the leaves. Another common one would be aphids. And how do you tackle them? Just insecticides. Budworms are pretty easy to maintain, whereas aphids are a bit more complex and expensive. But fortunately, you don't sort of start seeing those until sort of September when it starts warming up again. And by then, are the spud plants far enough along? No, you've got to control it right through purely because the aphids can actually put diseases into your seed crop, which going into the next season bring diseases. What's your favourite spud to eat? There's a few varieties that do taste quite nice. There's a variety we started growing, daisy, that's really good eating, but it's hard to go past the raw blue. I think it's just so versatile, good for everything. Yeah. What do they look like for anyone that isn't familiar? They're called raw blue, but they're actually purple. I think they're starting to get more common now. People are starting to see what they look like. And what colour on the inside? I think they're cream. The question that we finish every interview with, what do you love most about your job? I think just waking up every day and not actually knowing what's going to happen. You can always sort of roughly guess what you need to have done, but something always jumps in and even distraction, all of a sudden you're doing a completely different job to what you first thought you were going to do. So the fact that it's... Um, yeah, so unpredictable. Yeah. So the variety and a bit of a challenge. Yeah. Great. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today and for sharing your knowledge on growing spuds. No worries. Thanks for having me. That brings us to the end of today's episode. A big thank you to Brad for taking the time to give some insight into the Ryan family's Dandarigan potato operation.
If you're enjoying our podcast, please make sure you rate, review, and subscribe on wherever you listen to your podcasts. The best way to receive our updates and stay in the loop with the latest in local research and results is by becoming a West Midlands Group member. Visit our website, www.wmgroup.org.au and head to the Become a Member page. Our members are an essential part of why we do what we do. And finally, thank you to our sponsors and members without whom this podcast would not be possible. See you next time for some more Paddock Chat. Local knowledge from a paddock near you.